welcome to the Better Clinician podcast with myself, Ben Cormack, and also Adam Meekins. The Better Clinician project brings you high quality education at a ridiculously low price. This podcast will bring you topics that are relevant to modern clinical practice, all done with a bit of fun and humour. Nothing in this podcast constitutes medical advice. So we are back in the festive month of December, and that can only mean one thing, we are dragging out the December debates. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> you should or happy Kwanzaa. Or yeah. oh, I'm gonna get, this is where I'm going to show my ignorance now, trying to go through all the different religious ceremonies and festivities at this oh, time yeah. of year, because I don't know them very well. So no, if anybody... Happy. Yeah, exactly. Kwanzaa and... Uh, yeah, whatever. Anyway... Happy festive season to all the BC peers out there. That, that's a nice way around it and uh, politically correct, I guess, rather than saying happy Christmas. But happy festive season, everybody. Yeah, welcome to the December debates. Yeah. I do like a December debate. Yeah, and what we always try and do here is this is the uh, – I think this is the opportunity for us um, to kind of approach this in a way that maybe it could even be a little spicy and combative – Mr. Meekins. A little pro, a little con, a little for, a little against, a little, a little, I'm this, you're that. Yeah, why not? Let's have a little tit for tat, mate. Let's let's put the gloves on and go toe to toe. Metaphorical. We'll put the metaphorical gloves on because I've got a, I'm getting over bad jet lag and I've got a cold. I think it is making excuses already. Making the excuses. Yeah, if we put the real gloves on, I don't think I'd be, there wouldn't be much, wouldn't be much in me if I'm being honest. (laughs) Um, so just the metaphorical ones. But um, all right. So, look, we did put it out to the members and we got a few uh, suggestions back. I think some of the questions are probably better suited for a uh, thoughtful Thursday. Um, and we'll bring those back in January. So those questions have been duly noted from the members. Um, we were probably looking for slightly broader topics. Um, and the one that we'd like to talk about today, and I think this me and you might clash a little bit on this one, is this kind of exercise in rehab type of thing, you know, because I think that we both are advocates of exercise in rehab and exercise for pain and these type of things, but maybe we come at it from, from slightly um, different perspectives. Um, so I so, probably think we come at it from more than slightly different perspectives, mate, here, which is going to make it quite, quite a good debate, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah I think this is going to be, be a good one, but I think, you know, that, if we try and define the topic a little bit narrower to make it a bit more spicy, I think I think we could perhaps say, you know, are S&C, strength and conditioning principles, needed in exercise prescription, which is, I think, the crux of the, the debate and the discussions that we've been having in the past and could be useful to expand on a bit further in this December debate, mate. Don't you agree? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I suppose that, that I'm just going to kind of Maybe broad. I'm going to bring in another topic as well, because it might be that that changes whether it's um, involving pain or maybe whether it's not involving pain. Um, so, so yeah, let, let's bring that in. So, you know, and and actually, can we say exercise principles or do we have to go S&C principles? Because that gets my goat sometimes. 
Yeah, well, I think I prefer the term S&C principles because, you know, most of the research is coming from the S&C community, the strength and conditioning community. They're the ones that tend to come up with the parameters and the guidelines of prescriptions of exercises for improving people's strength or condition, their endurance, their power. So I do think, you know, using the term strength and conditioning principles rather than just exercise principles is probably better because exercise covers a lot of things. We are we are talking about resistance based exercises. We are talking about prescribing set reps and sets and frequencies and volumes of work done, which I think comes under the term strength and conditioning principles. So I'm going to say, let, let's let's say it is strength and conditioning principles. Because if we're talking exercise pres uh, prescription or exercise principles, we could be talking cardiovascular. We could be talking about how to run a 5K. We could be talking about how to swim 20 lengths of a swimming pool, how to play tennis better. You know, that could all come under exercise prescription. So I think, you know, we're talking about resistance-based exercises. Do we need to use the strength and conditioning principles? Do we need to give set reps and sets and frequencies and dosages to help people with painful musculoskeletal uh, problems. And my my opinion is, yes, a lot of the time we do. And I think you're going to perhaps take the opposite view and say, no. Yeah. <laughs> Have you spoken? Is this, did you just order for me in the restaurant? <laughs> I think I've just I think I've just spoken for you. But correct me if I'm wrong. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the on the on the premise. My my position. I'm gonna lay my cards on the table and say my position here is that I think a lot of the time physios and patients can use and should use strength and conditioning principles for many painful musculoskeletal conditions. Job done. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed that December debate. We're done and dusted. <laughs> See you in January, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, that saved me a lot of energy, didn't it? Um, so, so, so interestingly, what you 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 did you use two statements there. You use can we, and you use should we. And I'm going to I'm, agree. I'm, Okay, let, let me narrow that down. I say we should. Ooh, spicy, juicy. All right, so, right, fair play. So I, I would be of the position then, certainly, that we can. I don't know if I'm of the position that that should be a default principle. There we go. Now we're going to get into the juiciness of the debate. So let, let, let's okay. expand on it. So, let, so lay your cards on the table then. Tell me why, Ben, you don't think that we need to use strength and conditioning principles as a default setting for prescribing exercise for musculoskeletal conditions. Yeah, and, and again, I think we, I, I, I probably, and I do this when I teach, that I would say that there's a question that comes before that in the sense of what are we trying to achieve, right? So if we are going to say, do should we to help with, most musculoskeletal painful conditions, I would say the reason why I don't feel like I should is because I don't feel that there's any evidence to tell me that that should be my default position, that the effects from that would be no superior to choosing another mode of exercise or activity or, or, or movement. 
Now, I'm going to caveat that, and I can see you're itching to dive in. I'm going to caveat that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm holding myself back. I know. I can see. I can see. Don't worry. I've worked with you a long time. I can tell the signs. Adam Meekins is not good at hiding his emotions. Um, I, I would probably caveat that just by saying maybe there are some other goals that I might want to achieve. Maybe... Uh, in different types of conditions, maybe that aren't always pain focused, um, you know, like uh, a post-operative or uh, rehabilitative in, in after, you know, major injury type of thing. Um, and I, uh, yeah, so I'm going to caveat that by saying I can see why there are circumstances that you should. And then I can see why there are circumstances that I certainly don't feel that I, I, I would need to. Okay. Right, let me interject now a little bit. <laughs> so you said there, obviously, you know, it depends on what the patients want as to, you know, how we should use exercise. And and I, I do agree. And and I think, you know, if I was to ask you, what, what is the number one thing that patients normally want when they come in with painful musculoskeletal conditions, mate? What's their number one motive? Well, I mean, it's a, I mean, uh, I'm going to default. Actually, they want three things, but the, 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 let's, there was a piece of research here, schmuck. Uh, 2022. Don't don't patients. start getting insulting. It's a debate. Let's keep it professional. Yeah, you schmuck. S M U C K. <laughs> Smuck. Schmuck. I don't know. Um, but the first thing that people wanted, by a small percentage, was pain relief. Second thing they wanted was get back to function. Third thing yeah. they wanted was an explanation of their painful problem. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm going to say the two main things, and you know, because you say there's evidence there, and obviously, you know, anecdotal clinical experience that I see when patients come in with painful problems, they want they want less pain, and they want to be able to do the things that are they're not able to do because the pain's getting in the way. So they want their function and they want their pain reduced. So those are the two main goals. Often, now you said that there isn't any. The next thing you said after that is there isn't any evidence that says using strength and conditioning principles in exercise is more superior to other things to help with the pain and return to function, which I'm going to get onto the function later on. I'll probably say arguably there could be superiority there, but with us, let's stick to the pain, reducing pain. Okay. I agree. I don't think there is any robust evidence that says using these rather formulaic exercise prescription principles is more superior than anything else but they aren't inferior either is there there's no evidence to say they're inferior no 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 and i've taken this uh, approach with core stability for example over the years you know that core stability was shown to be not superior but it doesn't mean that it's inferior no. so it's another option but however I suppose the point with the core stability argument would be it probably doesn't do it for the proposed reasons. No. And and again, I'm not going to say that the exercises that we prescribe on these S&C principles helps people get less pain because it it gets them stronger or it, it works on the physiology. There's lots of other reasons as to why three sets of 10 or five sets of five at certain volumes of intensity help people with musculoskeletal problems other than the suspected outcomes that the strength and conditioning community expect. But what I do find is a barrier to getting people to do exercise is often some lack of consistency, format, structure, 
an approach. And this is one benefit that I think the strength and conditioning programs have. They can give patients a format, a structure, targets, goals to aim for that may actually be, you know, not that related to their main goals or problems, but indirectly rated, but that can also help them focus and get their, and again, these words I'm going to use lightly, their their compliance and their adherence to doing these exercises up, I think. One of the things I find is if you're just too willy-nilly with the exercise, you're a little bit too, you can do whatever you like, however you like, whenever you like. Sometimes patients, they don't respond well to that. It doesn't give them any sort of guidance as to as to how and where and when and what to do. So I, I think some, and I'm not going to say all, because there's never always that all case, but, but for many patients, having some format and guidance really is a benefit to getting things done. Yeah, no, and, and, I, and I'm absolutely in total agreement with that. Um, you know, I mean, I think that when you look at something like, I'm just going to backtrack slightly to, to the sets and reps point, when you look at something like three sets of 10, it probably like a, a medium intensity. I can really see how that might be not that offensive for a sensitized, painful system. Do you, do you see what I mean? It's kind of the vanilla of exercise prescription. You've given me something for a moderate amount of time with a moderate intensity <laughs> and kind of generally often a moderate load. And I can actually see why a, a semi-painful system finds that not that offensive. You know, so so that three sets of 10 thing, I think, can be quite good. But what you're talking about now is behavioural, isn't it, to some degree? It's about habit forming. It's about behaviour yeah. change. Yeah. Um, and I don't disagree at all. Uh, you know, I think that some people don't have structure. They don't have guidance. They don't have a plan. Um, and they absolutely need um, some element of, of plan. And that can absolutely fit the bill. I would be, you know, um, I, I wouldn't disagree with that in any way, shape or form. I might just disagree what the plan always has to look like. Yeah, and I agree. I think there's there's lots of roads to Rome, as the saying goes. So, you know, you, you've got, you, we've got flexibility and adaptability. And I think that's sometimes that's the thing that gets forgotten about. Strength and conditioning programs have a lot of variability for the individual who is doing them. So although we can use similar programs in terms of structure five sets of five done three times a week for the next four weeks in that block of training you know how that exercise is done with the volume and the intensity that that can be variable so there is there's adaptability there in these strength and conditioning principles which i think a lot of people think there isn't there is you can you can tailor it to the individual and their pain and their abilities and their fears and their concerns quite easily still using strength and conditioning principles. You don't have to be dogmatic and completely 100% rigid in prescribing it. It has to be done at 80% of RM and it has to be done, you know, in this particular way. So I think I'm going to hit you with a bit of a debate here. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of the problem is that maybe what turns you off about manual therapists, the specificity, the, you know, that you need to do it like this maybe turns me off S&C sometimes. Yeah, and I can understand it. It does yeah. with me as well. Even yeah. even in performance settings as well. You know, even when you are not talking about pain and you're trying to get somebody, you know, stronger or you know more bigger in their muscles, more hypertrophy. You know that you, you don't have to be as specific or as prescriptive as a lot of people think. And it does. It does wind me up. And uh, I think 
You know, that that is a negative when it comes to the strength and conditioning principles. People use them blindly. They use them rather dogmatically rather than understanding the individual and the individual responses based on, you know, their beliefs, expectations, their genetics, how they respond, their experience, all these things. I mean, who's it? John Keeley talks about this all the time. He, he works in the strength and conditioning community. He doesn't do much painful rehab. He works with trying to get people better and performing better. And he is a master at adapting strength and conditioning principles based on the individual and the response. And, and he said it himself, you know, a lot of the time it's try it and see. <laughs> it's it's about being flexible and adaptable. You've got these guidelines that you use, but then you apply a dose to the person and, and see what happens and what response doesn't doesn't happen. And if it's a good response, great, carry on, adapt from there. If it's a bad response, tinker, tailor, adjust. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I'm a big advocate of, of that kind of approach. And, you know, I, I love what John does uh, and those type of stuff. But I think maybe is that kind of, you know, what what would get me was that was the element of essence is the way, you know, it's this ultra scientific approach where you have to be, you know, da 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 da. Um, and to me, it just smacks of all of the things that we've seen over the years in, in the physio world, you know, yeah, with manual yeah. therapy and stuff. Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of ego in it. You're right. There's a lot of know, there's a lot of superiority, people walking around going, Oh, don't you know your maximal speed strength exercises from your active speed strength exercises? Oh yeah, my god. Yeah. It, how much do you need to measure things, for example? So if you got a bunch of people in their 50s doing basic resistance circuit in an NHS clinic, um, you know, like a group class type of type of environment, they're loading 50, 60% of max, they're probably doing three sets of 10. Um does it matter that much whether they're doing it or whether they're increasing their strength or all of these type of things? I would I would much prefer that they were doing basic resistance exercise in a group setting, having fun, enjoying using their bodies, rather than being ultra fastidious on am I increasing strength or am I increasing load tolerance or all of these type of things. You know, and, and I think for me, um, that that would be a, a really ideal way to to kind of in, introduce more more resistance training. Yeah, and I'm not going to argue with that at all, mate. I think you know how how accurate and how specific do we need to be with these strength and conditioning principles is a great question, and I agree. There's a lot of there's a lot of certainty here by some people when there shouldn't be because there's a lot of uncertainty about the specificity and the the need to be accurate. Um, yeah, but but I, I again, I just want to I just want to say there that it doesn't mean that you can't use strength and conditioning principles uh, because you're not being super specific or accurate. You can still follow the guidelines and the formats, but there's like I said, just have some uh, ability to be flexible and adaptable. Yeah, and, and like I, I have my little saying, and I think that may have upset some people around the, around. You know, my say exercise for pain is not the same as exercise for fitness. And I think one of the things that people do is they see that and go, oh, my God, Ben's saying exercise for fitness is useless. Oh, my God, this is terrible. It's the end of the world. How dare he say that? Oh, my God. And all I'm really trying to say is that one doesn't equal the other in yeah. the sense that if you go and do all these fitness-based variables, they don't have this linear, if I get stronger, I get out of pain. If I get more, 
um, you know, uh, uh, endurance, I'm going to get out of pain, I'm going to get more load tolerance, all of these other things. Um, what I'm really trying to say is if pain is your number one goal, then probably the focus should be on the pain aspect, not always on the fitness aspect. But yeah, that doesn't like- mean that you can't use fitness for pain. Well, that, that's the thing I think gets lost in interpretation, mate. I think that's the bit when you say you don't have to use exercise in painful situations as you do in performance situations. People think, well, then what do I do? You've taken that away from me. What else are you going to replace it with? Where, where, well, And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. You can still use the performance yeah. parameters to help people in pain. But like we've said many times, it's about being adaptable, flexible, and recognize the uncertainty in about how these exercises help people. As you say, it's not just about the them getting stronger. The stronger they have, the less pain and the better their improvement is going to be. It's just not that simple. But, but yeah, you can. St- I think what happens is the kickback and say with, with clinicians is, you know, they're all time pressured. They're all they're all busy individuals. We've got very short periods of time where we've got to try and get somebody to do something active that helps their painful problems. And so, you know, in this time constraint issue, if you take away some structure and some format, I think it stresses clinicians out because it means that now they've got, they've got some, you know, uncertainty, more uncertainty to deal with. And they're perhaps going to be a bit like a rabbit in the headlights and not know what to do. They're blinded. They're stuck in the middle of the road. No, and don't do anything. So that's the risk. I think sometimes when we are a little bit too, What's the word I'm going to use for uh, flexible and adaptable here? You know, we we sometimes just don't do anything because we're like, well, we've got all these options in the world that we can use from. I'm just, I don't know which one to start off with. Yeah, and I and I totally get. It. I, I think for me, I think my one of the problems I've I've noticed is that when people have very highly painful situations, eight, nine, ten out of ten pain, that we tend to say, oh my god. Let's use manual therapy, ultrasound, needles, all of these type of things, right? Yeah, (laughs) because probably, you know, if I go and take a resistance training exercise, a big stimulus, might that make the problem worse, right? And that was the original point of the movement snack, was that how can I create such a low dosage of movement that doesn't look like an exercise, it's just moving a bit of the body, You know, it doesn't have to look like a squat or a deadlift or any of these type of things. How can I move away from having to do all these passive things to still being able to be a little bit active? But the problem is that often doesn't look like a deadlift or it doesn't look like a squat because that's still going to be a stimulus that could be something that, you know, is not appropriate for someone with a really flared up back. They just need a little bit of movement they can do at home. And that's why I think McKenzie can help. Yeah, but you can still it's a little movement snack. Yeah, but you can still give these movement snacks with some format and structure in and around like you could with any exercise. You could tell somebody to do a movement stack that's low intensity for for 10 repetitions and you might ask them to do three groups of that. So you could still give three sets of 10 of a movement yeah. snack. So again, yeah. you know, that, that that's my point is that, you know, people will often say, well, great, this is an exercise that helps. How often should I do it? When should I do it? And I think sometimes, yes, there is a role here for saying as often as you like, as many reps as possible, you know, yeah. because that is a type of prescription. 
But that sometimes for some people, I think, just doesn't go down very well. It comes across as a bit lackadaisical. It can come across as a bit invalidating, can be come across as a bit, I don't give a fuck, do whatever the fuck you like. So I think, you know, sometimes using a bit more certainty and format gives that person the impression that this person is a bit more interested, engaged in actually helping this person and and giving something that's a bit more specific for them, the individual, rather than their actual problems. And I think that's the key thing here as well. I've said this many times is we've got to treat the person with exercise, not just their musculoskeletal pathology. And so, you know, getting people to feel that these exercises are super specific for them, they're tailored for them, they're the ones for them with lots of positive reinforcement. That's where the magic with exercise prescription comes along. And that's where sometimes these strength and conditioning principles can be used really well. Yeah, I suppose you're doing, I mean, look, I, I, I often would sit with the patient and say, let's do five of these. How did it make you feel? And if they say, oh, that made it feel great, I'd say, well, oh, five's a great number. Why don't we do three lots of five? <laughs> right? So there is an element of, you know, sometimes we are specific to the response, not always specific to the S and C. And I think yeah. that's one of my other points is that maybe reps, reps at how we identify reps and sets could also be based on patient response, not just you know, how many out of 10 or, or all of these type of things. But, you know, you know I think we have to come back to the, I, I, you know, again, I, I think it's just a bit of a, you know, the, the real issue here is the polarisation. Oh, Pilates isn't better, so now it's the worst, right? Uh, core stability isn't better, so now it's the worst. Mackenzie isn't the best, so now it's the worst. Um, and I think that's the problem, you know, to some degree, um, is that if it isn't better, it's not, oh, it's another option. It becomes something that's, that's, that's not any good. And I, and I personally have never said that, but, you know, it's just the point of, is it something that we have to do? Is it something that we should do? And I'd say we can do it. <laughs> right? And I think, and, I, my- and again, I'm going to, this is a hill I'm going to be prepared to die on. And I think we should be doing it more often. We should be prescribing exercises more. What's the word? I'm not, I'm not going to say robustly because that's the wrong word. That's the wrong term. But we need to be prescribing exercises with more structure and format for a lot more people a lot more of the time. And again, the, the reasons for it isn't because of the specificity of the outcome of these exercises. It's for the other reasons around it. It's it's getting the engagement. It's it's validating the individual. It's getting them to buy into it. It's getting them to do the things that you want them to do to hopefully get the outcomes that we expect for various different reasons. So again, I'm, I, I just want to say that I do think physio still has a problem with exercise prescription, doing it well. Not, not just because it only gives three sets of 10, but because it doesn't, it doesn't teach physios how to engage somebody with exercise. It doesn't get the, the word coach is something that I think needs to be talked about more and more. So, you know, we talk about strength and conditioning coaching, and that's where I think the positivity, the magic magic happens with strength and conditioning. It's the coaching, it's the engagement, it's the reassurance, it's the motivation, it's the support, it's the framework, it's the guidelines, it's that person that you can speak to that you trust and respect. That's what a coach is. Physios don't need to be fucking psychologists. They need to be more like coaches. And I think that's something that I think strength the strength and conditioning community do really, really well. They 
learn a lot about how to coach, how to teach, how to talk yep. to people, how to how to you know prescribe exercises using external cues, not fucking internal cues. That's another one yep. of my bugbears. So there are so many positivities to the strength and conditioning community that physio can pick up on, and this kickback against it does fuck me off. It really does. So I understand all the points you say about, you know, prescriptions and everything. Get it. Arrogance, ego, elitism around it. Totally agree. But it doesn't mean that we should deter physios from using strength and conditioning principles and that coaching aspect of it a lot more. Couldn't I, I you know, but I, I think that the, one of the problems is that the, the kind of rehab world connects more with the kind of, you know, the structure and the science and these type of things. And actually, I think that if we emphasise that element of coaching more, then I think that would be, you know, I actually think I have learned more uh, how to rehab people from boxing coaching and personal training than I ever learned um, when I when I we went to university. Um, in, in, in the sense of working with people, learning how to coach them in different ways, you know, skill and stuff and um and i think that if we could emphasize that more then i think that that would be really really strong because i still think there's that mentality of working on people using snc not working with people using snc in the same way that we see manual therapy passive interventions etc so sometimes it's not about the science and the structure it's actually about the coaching. And I think that's an absolutely fantastic way for us to, to, to kind of bring both of our minds together on that one is that what we can agree on is that the fucking coaching side of it is... But do you know what? Everyone thinks they're a great fucking coach. It's, it's like driving. You know, every, yes. you ask everybody about how good of a driver they are. Do they think they're in the top 10%? 90% of drivers will think they're in the top 10% of drivers. And it's no different with physios and coaches. We all have an inflated uh, expectation and understanding of our skills and attributes. You and me included, mate. Oh, 100%. And do you know what I learned from, you know, I, I, I still, I know you get coached and I get coached, um, you know, quite regularly still. Um, the first thing that I always say to myself every time I get coached is then be coachable. Yeah, shut the fuck I'm, up. Listen, yeah, I'm listen. At being coachable because <laughs> yeah. I've been a coach, right? But I think there is something to, you know, working with people being coached and, and understanding what you need to be coached as well is a really important thing. But as you said, we're used to being, as clinicians, we're used to being in the driving seat. We're used to, you know, coaching isn't just your knees fucking dropping in or you've gone into butt wink or you've done all these things. Coaching is motivational. I might have even just written a paper about this. Um, coaching is being motivational. It's, you know, giving the right feedback. It's giving feedback that's, um, you know, instructive but not dismissive. And, you know, there's a real fucking skill to it. But I am going to I'm going to die on the hill that. The physio, the sports therapy, the osteopathy world, whatever, still values the science of the sets and reps more than the coaching side. Yeah, they do. And that's the bit that does need to change. And that's the bit I've been trying to bang on about as well. Yeah. So individual variation, be flexible and adaptable yeah. in these parameters. But just, yeah, recognize that all the other benefits that uh, strength and conditioning exercise prescription has. And I just want to raise one last point of where I love SNC. 
is the S&C does it. If you look at the physio research, it says, what's the best exercise for back pain? Is it Pilates? Is it deadlifts? Is it whatever? Right. And what I love about S&C is it doesn't ask that question. It says, how do I? It's like S&C wouldn't. If you asked, what's the best exercise for hypertrophy? Yeah, no, it won't. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. What's the best exercise for endurance? You don't you can't they're unanswerable questions, but we still want to know what's the best exercise for pain. Yeah. Well, I still think there's there's still a bit of reluctance in the SNC community for people to move and accept that. There are many yeah. ways to get bigger muscles and to get more endurance with exercise prescription, but yeah. it is changing. Yeah. You yeah. wouldn't say there's one exercise to build your quads. You could no. say there's a hack, there's a hack squat, there's a squat, there's a deadlift, there's a leg extension, there's a so what I love is they're looking at they're looking at qualities and they're saying there might be many ways to achieve that. You know, sometimes more rigidly, sometimes less rigidly. Whereas in the rehab world, we're still stuck on is Pilates better than motor control? Yeah, yeah. Right? And so I think there's a lot to be learned from just taking back and saying it's not about the individual exercise. It's maybe about the quality that you're creating, whether that's self-efficacy, lack of kinesophobia, you know, uh, strength or whatever. It's not about it's about the quality, not about the specific and there may be many specifics to do. So from that sense, I think SNC is fantastic. Good. All right. So you've heard it here. Ben has actually agreed <laughs> to my position and I've won that debate. So I will call that one <laughs> one nil to me. I think. <laughs> you win a mince pie, by the way. You win one mince pie and one dollop of squirty cream. No, well, hopefully, as you say, you've got the nuance in there, BC peers. You you yeah. can see both sides of the story. You can see, you know, the pros and cons of both aspects there. Um, and hopefully that's been of use to you. So, again, just to summarise, as Ben has done beautifully there, you know, lots of benefits with strength and conditioning uh, principles in your rehabilitation programmes, but it doesn't always have to be done as dogmatically or as restrictively as some will have you believe. Yeah. And just because something isn't the best doesn't make it the worst. There we go. <laughs> All right, people. So uh, hope you've enjoyed that first of our December debates. And uh, we'll see you hopefully soon for another second December debate. Take care and uh, happy festive season. Thank you for listening to the BCP podcast. If you would like to check out the BCP, please go to www.betterclinicianproject.com. There we have literally hundreds of videos on clinical topics, exercise examples for rehabilitation and research reviews alongside features such as Thoughtful Thursday. And please tune in again.